you're a person first, everything else comes second because the latter cannot exist without the former. If you want a satisfying career and a fulfilling family life, this is the podcast for you. Join me, Joel Lilovich, and me, Lucy Dickens, as we share strategies and advice to help you keep your balls in the air. Welcome to the Juggle Podcast. Hi, everyone. Welcome back. I'm Joel Lilovich. And I'm Lucy Dickens. Thanks for joining us again. As we mentioned last week, October is Mental Health Month. And if you haven't already listened to last week's episode, we talk all about self-care, seven ways to prioritize your own self-care. We even had a special challenge last week, self-care challenge, where we had everyone in our Facebook group going through a few different mechanisms to think about their own self-care and ways that they can improve it. So if you're interested in that, join the Facebook group and you can go back and scroll through and, and see, perhaps do the challenge yourself in a different week. Today we have a special guest who has themselves experienced struggles with mental health and who is now an advocate to help prevent others from suffering in similar ways. Our guest today is Jerome Dorosami. Jerome is a lawyer and a writer from Sydney, New South Wales. He left legal practice in 2015 to publish his first book, The Wellness Doctrines for Law Students and Young Lawyers, which peaked at number two on iTunes and has been sold both in paperback and ebook on all six continents. His new book, The Wellness Doctrines for High School Students, was published in May this year. Jerome currently works as a journalist for Lawyers Weekly and Wellness Daily and as a lecturer at the University of Western Australia. I really enjoyed talking to Jerome. He's number one, a lovely guy, but he's also so incredibly open and honest about his own personal journey with mental health issues. And I think that that is an incredible gift to give to other people who, one, are suffering themselves, but two, perhaps aren't suffering now but who need to know that it's actually, it's okay. Mm. And, and as a way to sort of help to support others as well. Jerome shared his personal journey in the interview, but he talks more about it in his books and in his writing as well. So definitely yes. look him up if you're interested to find out more. One of my biggest takeaways was Jerome's phrase, how we can use self-interest. And he's, he keeps coming back to our own self-interest and how we can use that as a mechanism for prioritizing our own wellness. Yeah, absolutely. That whole idea of looking after yourself first. But before we begin and get you into this episode, we want to mention that today's episode is sponsored by Law CPD. They offer online professional development courses that can make it really easy for you to do your professional development while you're on the go whenever it suits you. Law CPD cover core CPD areas for lawyers, but also general topics like business and communication and importantly and on topic wellness. (laughs) This month, Law CPD have a special offer for you. They have 20% off all of their wellbeing courses. There's a special selection that you can view on their website, which is www.lawcpd.com.au forward slash the juggle. The discount code, if you would like to use it to receive 20% off, is just the word self-care. And that discount is very generously available until the end of October. Thank you, Law CPD. Enjoy the episode. Hi, Jerome. Thanks for joining us. Oh, thanks for having me. So your first book that you wrote was all about lawyers and your second high school students, but the principles that you have in those books are really relevant for everyone, I think. When you talk about wellness, what do you mean? 
I talk about the idea of being a healthy, happy person first and foremost, because if you're not a healthy, happy person, I think it's very hard to be a productive, successful worker or student. It doesn't matter what industry you're in, whether you're a lawyer, whether you're in high school, health and well-being has to come first, because I find that unless I'm on top of my game, my stress and anxiety levels are at a manageable level, unless all of that is happening, it's very hard for me to achieve what I want to achieve day to day when I go into work. And so in that sense, it's to my benefit personally and professionally to ensure that I'm looking after myself as best as I possibly can in order to do the best job I can do and then, you know, do right by whether it's, you know, my boss, my employer, the people around me. And I think that that same principle should apply for everybody else. Before we start talking in a bit more detail about the kinds of things we can do to prioritise our own health and mental health and wellness more generally, can you go back and tell us a bit about, or just give us the summary about what prompted you to start writing about these topics? Sure. So I had a major mental health breakdown at the end of 2011 when I had one semester of law school to go. It happened at a music festival down in Victoria, which I was at with a bunch of my old schoolmates. Not an easy place. Yeah, and it was a pretty confronting environment to have a breakdown in because Mm. I don't want to break down and cry, but you can't because not only are you surrounded by all of your close mates from school, but, you know, I was also surrounded by about 10,000 other people at this music festival. So it was very much a uh, bite your bottom lip, put a smile on your face and kind of get through the night scenario for me. The breakdown I had was a result of having kind of pushed myself to the physical and emotional limit for mm-hmm. about two years prior, in which I was working a or studying a full-time load at university with my law and communications degree. I was working two, three days a week as a paralegal, volunteering mm-hmm. 30, 35 hours a week as vice president of the Law Society at my, UT, wow. at, at my university and surviving on about four or five hours of sleep every night consistently. And, you know, ultimately that was too much punishment to inflict upon myself and <laughs> that can happen so easily though oh it can yeah I think that you know so, so often we all just assume that we can handle whatever it is that is thrown at us or whatever we throw at ourselves and I think for me there was a certain amount of arrogance involved in presuming that I could do every single thing that I wanted to put my mind to and you know ultimately I wasn't and so in that sense I'm kind of glad that I had the breakdown that I did because mm-hmm. it's given me a much clearer understanding of my own capacities and limitations, not just as a person, but as a professional. Mm. And as a result of that, I'm much better at, you know, being able to put my foot down and say, actually, no, this is going to be too much for me, or I really need to prioritize, you know, going home and getting a good night's sleep. Yes. So in that sense, you know, it was a really good thing to have that bout of ill health, but for an approximate 18 month period following that breakdown, it you know, wasn't very pleasant. <laughs> Mm. Not only how that changes you as a person, but it also would give you a new perspective as well. I'm not saying that I wish would wish that kind of breakdown on anybody, but if you'd have carried on living that life for, for you know another five or ten years, that would have become your normal, or probably already was your normal after two years. But I guess you were forced to slow down and stop and reevaluate. Absolutely. Yeah. Look, I I think that in some way it's kind of fortunate that it happened at the time it did and at the age that I was at. I was 23 when Mm. I had that breakdown. And yeah, it was certainly better than having it happen at the age of 40 when, you know, maybe you've already got a spouse and kids and mortgage and, you know, maybe you don't have the luxury of being able to have such a breakdown. But look, it happened when it did. And I think that the other big thing for me is that 
I was probably headed down a certain vocational path with my legal career and being unwell in the way that I was kind of through that career trajectory out of whack. Mm -hmm. And uh, as a result, I sort of had the opportunity to really sit back and reflect on what is it that I actually want to do and what is going to make me not only happiest as a worker, but also that's going to be most beneficial and suitable for my health and well-being because I had to recognize that I'm susceptible to certain mental health ailments and and that needs to be factored in. There's a lot of talk around about the need to be more open about mental health illnesses, especially in the workplace. It's got to start in your own home, I think, but especially there's a lot of talk about the workplace. And yet, despite this, there still seems to be huge stigma attached to people who suffer or have suffered from a mental illness. How have you found being so open has impacted on you personally? And what do you also think we can do to encourage others to be in a similar way? I think it's one of those scenarios where you just have to be true to yourself no matter what. And again, going back to what I was saying at the top, your health and well-being has to come first. Everything else comes second. And so in that sense, you know, we do have to be wary of the fact that there is this societal stigma mm. around that still exists. And, you know, some of our bosses are going to be better than others at dealing with it. And other mm. times it could be rather detrimental to our career progression to disclose such health issues. But I think what's important to recognise is that it's not as simply as black and white as risking a conversation with your boss or suffering in silence. I think that we should appreciate that there are many avenues through which we can seek support, whether it's in the workplace or outside of it. So, you know, let's say in the context of a law firm, if you're a junior lawyer working for a partner and you're worried that your partner is not going to be supportive of you, you know, maybe there's somebody in another practice group within the law firm with whom you can have a confidential conversation who has no impact whatsoever over your career trajectory. Or maybe there are people outside of the workplace you can talk to, your parents, mm-hmm. your friends, your mentors. I think that it's important for people to remember that there are so many avenues out there through which we can seek the support we need that don't necessarily have to be detrimental to our careers and ultimately we also have to remember that by taking such steps to disclose whatever it is we might be experiencing by being open and honest about that in a safe and secure environment the better off we're going to be as workers as a result. We have a guest Jessica who was one of our first guests on the podcast and she spoke to us about her own struggles with mental health is particularly around her return to work and she started by not wanting to raise this at work or not really knowing where to go and as it turned out her work had a work psychologist or they had a referral program to a psychologist so she was able to deal with her issues still within the workplace to some extent although just as you say that didn't involve having a conversation with her boss because there is when she looked and dug a little deeper there were other avenues available for her that the workplace had provided so I think the point you make there is a really good one yeah and and I think the other thing to add is that because there are so many avenues through which we can seek support there's going to be an avenue for every person and their own unique personality traits like you know some people aren't going to be comfortable having a face-to-face conversation with somebody whether it's their boss or their spouse but there are you know online discussion groups that people can utilize and you know, I think for some people that can be really useful because it's more of a hands-off kind of approach. Maybe it's anonymous and people aren't going to know the real you, so to speak. And so it's just a matter of taking the initiative of figuring out what avenue of support is going to be most beneficial for, for you and your own personality traits. 
Another one of the comments that I hear all the time is, well, aside from the usual, you know, I just suck it up and get on with it. (laughs) A lot of people will talk about when you're at work, you should just leave all your personal stuff at home and that you shouldn't bring that to work and it shouldn't be part of what you talk about or do at work. How do you suggest people respond to that kind of attitude? Yeah, well, I, th- I think it's you know, very. It would be very easy to just say find another workplace. Yes, <laughs> but I guess to an extent, we, we also have to be pragmatic about the careers that we're in, respectively. And I suppose all we can do is ensure that we have the right uh, mechanisms or frameworks of support wherever yeah. we possibly seek them. So I, I don't think it's necessarily fair or reasonable to expect that your workplace can cover all bases for you because, you know, most of us, we're only at work from nine to five. And once you leave the office, then uh, to an extent you're on your own. And Mm. so you have to ensure that your home life, your social circle, all of that is also up to scratch Mm. so that, you know, if say one of those avenues is not providing you the support that you need, for example, if your workplace isn't as supportive as you'd like it to be, at least you have a safety net outside of the office. So in that sense, it's important for all of us to take a more holistic approach to our health and well-being and trying to ensure that we have people with whom we can have a private confidential conversation in any context and also to suit certain scenarios as well. Like, I mean, I personally have, if I'm having uh, some bad anxiety, for example, I know that there are certain people that I can turn to for that. Mm. If I'm having concerns about, you know, where I'm headed with my life, there are other people that I can talk to about that one. So, mm, so uh, true. I, it's different people make are the right people in different scenarios. Yeah, absolutely. And we just have to know, uh, I suppose, have the faith in the people around us that we can have those open, honest conversations and they'll be there to listen to us even when we need it. For my part, the mental health issues that I've dealt with have all been caused by things that have been going on in my personal life. So not as a result of stress from work, for example, which is your story and quite common as well. And I found that just having one person in the office that knows not all the details, but just enough about what's going on. In my case, it was my boss, but it doesn't have to be your boss. Just one person who can see, you know, when you come in and you're feeling a little bit down or maybe you're a little bit slow or you're not quite as, sometimes you just want to sit and not talk to anyone. And that was always hard for me because I'm quite an outgoing person in an open plan office. And my presence is known if I'm there, you know, you know about it. (laughs) On the days when I didn't want to talk to someone and I just wanted to hide away, I always found it really helpful to have just one person who knows that something's going on for me and one person would know that maybe I was a bit quiet today because of that. And not everybody had to know, but it was just nice to have someone who would kind of back you up, even if it was silently. Absolutely. And look, I think that even if you never engage that person in an in-depth conversation it's so beneficial to know that you have that safety net if and when exactly it provides a lot of emotional security yes Mm. i think everybody sometimes in their life will feel down just having a bad day whatever it might be but then other things are more serious Do you have any suggestions for people and how to distinguish between what's a little bit down and when it's becoming a bit more serious? Is it something to do with how long it's lasting for or the feelings? What are your suggestions around that? First of all, just respond to that first thing you said. And I think you're absolutely right. You know, there's not a single person in the world who has 100% perfect mental health. You know, we all get stressed. We all get anxious. It's just a matter of degrees and, you know, where we as a society choose to draw the line in the sand as to what's a diagnosable condition and what's not. And so in that sense, I think it's really important that we don't 
lump people into certain categories and say, you know, either you're a mental health person or you're not. <laughs> but uh, yeah, look, I mean, when it comes to identifying when something might be starting to get problematic or not, I think it's, I think it's an individual thing. I mean, I certainly have a, a threshold or tolerance for when I know that I'm pushing myself too far. And I think it's really important in that sense to identify your own idiosyncratic yeah. trigger points as to what might be an indication of when you are overly stressed or anxious or feeling down in the dumps. And so for me, there are certain things like if I am struggling to fall asleep at night, you know, if I'm tossing and turning for hours on end because I've got too much on my mind, you know, it's a really clear indication that I haven't taken enough time at the end of the day to properly unwind or it's a sign that maybe I've got too much on my plate and I need to hand some things off. For me, it's usually yelling too much and tears. <laughs> the tears come. <laughs> That's me this morning. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And, 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 you know, it's just other little things like, uh, you know, if you're having dinner with your family or with your friends and you find that you can't just be in that moment. If yes. in your mind you're thinking about your to-do list and what emails need to be responded to, you know, it's a clear sign that you're not being very good at separating the personal and the professional. And yeah. even something silly for me, like, a, you know, if my skin breaks out and, mm -hmm. you know, I start looking like that spotty teenager that I used to, <laughs> you know, that's a very clear you sign. That doesn't stop at 40, I tell you. <laughs> <laughs> You know, like that's a very clear sign that I'm not taking enough care of myself. So I think it's really important that every person uh, be introspective enough to identify and recognize what are their unique signs and symptoms of being, of elevated stress and anxiety and tell the people in your life about those things. Like tell your, your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your husband, wife, your, your siblings, if you see me doing this thing, please let me know because that's probably a sign that I need to be taking better care of myself. Mm, that's a nice idea. Yeah. And what I was thinking as you were saying all of this is that it really does require quite a high level of self-awareness mm. to be able to firstly identify what your trigger points might be, but then secondly, to recognize either just before you hit them or when you are in them before it gets too late. Yeah. And look, you know, maybe I'm not the best person to advocate <laughs> such stuff because my recognition of these kinds of issues was very much a reactive thing. Yeah. It was only when I had a breakdown, did I actually then take the mm -hmm. time to reflect on some of these issues. And what I try to do is take a more proactive approach and try to identify these issues, these signs and symptoms before issues come to be, because I think it's much easier. And no matter how old you are, whether you're a teenager in high school or whether you're a partner in a law firm, it's much easier to get into good habits right from the get-go than it yes. is to change bad habits mm -hmm. once something's already blown up. Yes. And again, you know, it goes back to that thing I was saying earlier that the more time and effort we put into uh, looking after our, ourselves and our health and well-being, the more productive and successful we're going to be. And so in that sense, you know, we can almost play to our own self-interest by saying, if I want to be the best possible working professional I can possibly be, I first need to be doing X, Y, Z to look after myself. Because without that, I'm not putting myself in the best position I can. These comments all are directed towards that beautiful statement that prevention is better than a cure. This idea of being self-aware and, and knowing what our trigger points are and being able to identify our change in behaviours or appearance to better monitor when our health is starting to slip. What other kinds of things can we do? I mean, you know, what are your thoughts on the whole exercise and healthy eating or, or other strategies? Yeah. So look, I mean, well, I'll, I'll first just talk about the prevention is better than a cure thing. And I think that it's really important that we acknowledge that 
psychological distress, anxiety, depression, eating disorders, suicide ideation, whatever it is it might be, we absolutely need to look at these things in the same way that we would a broken leg or a cold. And I think the best analogy I have is to say that for us as Australians, because we live in a country where ultraviolet rays are more pronounced and our risk of skin cancers like melanoma is heightened, whenever we go to the beach or whenever we go outside in summer, we all know that it's really important to give healthcare measure to uh, to avoid uh, certain problems like like those skin cancers, and so you know for all of us we need to put on that kind of metaphorical sunscreen with mental health <laughs> issues as well. That's a great analogy. I like that. Oh, good. I'm glad. So look, what, you know, when it comes to putting in place certain preventative measures for ourselves, I think there are very obvious ones like ensuring that you always have open, honest communication with people in your life whom you love and trust about any daily stresses and anxieties, you know, no matter how trivial or significant. I think it's really important to talk about our days. I do think exercise is fundamental. And I know it's not for everybody, but there are so many different ways that you can exercise. If you're not into team sports and running, then go for a walk, go for Mm -hmm. a swim. There's something for everybody with physical activity. Sleep is absolutely crucial. Something that I feel I'm lacking a bit at the moment. You are. I can't go to bed. (laughs) Yeah. Well, you need to address that, Joe. I do. I definitely do. Yeah. I think sleep has to be a non-negotiable because if you're not taking enough time to recharge the batteries, then you're not going to be as refreshed the following morning. You're not going to be firing on all cylinders. And so it's to your benefit personally and professionally to get enough sleep. I like to think of it as sleeping your way to the top. Um, (laughs) Um, but um, but look I mean outside of those sort of core fundamental things that all of us should be doing across the board I think it's really imperative that we all take the time to figure out what will motivate us what is meaningful and inspiring to us so I mean like I'm really big on team sports and reading books and so I do those things religiously but I'm not very good at mindfulness and meditation Mm. because I find that I just can't turn my brain off. And Mm. so I I don't think it's very useful for anyone to say that, oh, you know, you must do 10 minutes Mm. of meditation every night because not everybody's going to get on board. So in that sense, we all need to take a certain amount of individual responsibility to figure out what's going to work best for us because unless we're doing things that we actually feel motivated to do, then we're just not going to do them. I think, you know, doing something like a team sport is a version of meditation because if you're, you know, really Mm. on your game and concentrating on doing the best that you can for that team, there's no room in your head to think about what you were doing at work or what else you need to do tomorrow. Absolutely. And that's exactly why I get so much benefit out of it. You touched on how we can prioritize these things by saying we need to look for things that we are motivated to do. But what are some other ways that we can get people to prioritize self-care? I mean, our listeners, for example, I don't like the word busy, but we are busy. We're parents who have children and obviously parents do have children, right? They they are working in a professional career. There's lots of things going on. How can we make time or how can we prioritize these things so that they actually happen? Sure. This might be a cynical way of putting it, but I think that it's really important to play to our own self-interest and the things we want to see happen in our lives. I mean, I, I made the point earlier that, you know, you can't be a productive, successful worker unless you're a happy, healthy person. Um, and I'm almost reluctant to say this next thing because I'm not a parent and I, and I can't appreciate or understand what it's like to be a parent just yet. But I can only imagine using this same logic that if you want to be the best parent you can possibly be for your children, you first need to ensure that you're on top of your own game. 
and you know you're firing on all cylinders and functioning at 100 percent and our children deserve this you know our, our children deserve parents who are properly equipped to handle any issues that might be happening in the household or wherever it is it might be. Yeah, I really hope I'm not offending anyone. With no, with you're, that. you're absolutely right. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know, and, and we, we say it and it's said in lots of different ways. You know, some people will talk about the, the oxygen mask example, you know, you've got to put your own on first. Um, yeah. you know, some others will just sort of say, you know, that if you don't look after yourself, how can you look after anybody else? And I think that is a fundamental point that you do have to make sure you're looking after yourself yourself and making sure that your own health is there so that you actually are able to be a good parent, not yelling too much like happens to me when I don't get enough sleep. (laughs) Um, And, you know, and you're there for the long haul and that you can keep playing games and keep interacting. Yeah. So look, I I think that in that sense, playing self-interest is probably the best way to do it. And, you know, again, that might be cynical, but I think that when it comes to addressing mental health issues in Australian society or in the communities around us, whilst we've made really good strides in the last 10, 15 years of raising awareness and addressing some of these issues, we're not quite there yet. You know, we still have a lot of societal stigma to address and we also have a lot of self-stigma to address. So in that sense, plain self-interest might sound cynical, but it's also a means to an end. Yeah. It's practical. Very, very practical. All right, Jerome, we've got a couple of questions that we like to always finish our interviews on. Okay. And the first one is, what words do you live by? Do you have a mantra? Ooh, yeah, I I suppose there's one that my dad used to tell me. And in some sense, it's more related to business and, and your career. But I think it also relates a lot to health and well-being. And those words are, you get what you negotiate, not what you deserve. And so I always try to put myself in the best possible position I can when it comes to uh, not just, you know, what I'm doing at work, but also what I'm doing at home and in my social life. And so I feel like the more effort uh, and time I put into looking after myself and putting myself forward, then uh, the better chance I have of being able to make certain achievements. That's interesting. So you're interpreting that as you get what you negotiate with yourself as well, not just negotiations you might have with somebody else. Yeah, absolutely. If I put myself into a good position, then chances are something good might happen. I like that. And the second question we have is if you had to just choose one piece of advice that you would give to professionals who are managing the juggle of their, between their career and their family, and you can relate it back to mental health and wellness, if you like, what would that piece of advice be? You're a person first, everything else comes second because the latter cannot exist without the former. Mm. Oh, two awesome thought provoking comments to finish on. (laughs) I like it. Thank you so much, Jerome. We appreciate you giving us your time today. Oh, not at all, Joe and, and Lucy as well. I really appreciate you, you having me on your show. Yeah. Thank you. So if you guys want to find out more about Jerome and about his books, you can go to his website, which is www.thewellnessdoctrines.com. No AU, just .com. Thank you, Jerome. Cool. Thanks, guys. Thank you so much for listening today. Don't forget that this episode is very kindly sponsored by our friends at Law CPD who have a special offer for our listeners whereby you can receive 20% off all of their wellbeing courses for the rest of the month of October. In order to get that discount, just go to their website, make a choice from the selections available and use the discount code SELFCARE. That's all from us today. Thanks so much for listening. We hope that you enjoy the episode. Please, to make sure that you don't next week's or any other future week's episodes, please go to your podcast app and subscribe. And while you're there, why not leave us a rating and let us know what you think. 
And of course, as always, if you want to continue the conversation with us, come and join us on Facebook at The Juggle Community, which is facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash The Juggle Community. And we will be having conversations around mental health and wellness for the month of October. Thank you. See you next time. Happy juggling. Happy juggling.